This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and usually this is the part of the show where I would say, and here is my other host, Dan Gunther. But unfortunately, Dan has found himself in Bashir's infirmary and uh, finds himself a little under the weather. Uh, fortunately, though, we were able to record a actual episode earlier Uh, so the new segment will be a little truncated here but uh, we actually do have a show for you this week and so i just wanted to let you know that dan is on the mend and feeling better soon hopefully but um we do have a great episode for you in store, so I hope you'll stay with us and check that out as we're talking about Olympus Descending, the last book in the Worlds of Deep Space Nine series. Before we jump into that, just want to remind everyone, of course, that Literary Treks is part of the Trek FM network, and we have 20 different shows for you with special feeds as well. Every single part of Star Trek is covered as well as beyond Star Trek with the 602 Club talking all things geeky. Just go to iTunes.com slash Trek FM. You can find all of our shows. You can also find us on our website at Trek.fm. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. If you'd like to contact us, go to Trek.fm slash contact. Just choose a show and you select that show, uh, Literary Treks, and you can send us an email there and both Dan and I will get that and we can respond to you about anything we've talked about on Literary Treks. And of course, we'll you'll find us on the Goodreads group. You can find us on Goodreads under Literary Treks or you can go to any of the Literary Treks show pages and you can click the link there. It's a great place. We've got the bookshelves there that show you what we have read on the show. We've also got uh, what's coming up next, what we're going to be reading next. So that's a great way for you to keep in touch with Literary Treks and be ready for the next show that's coming out. And so we're really excited to jump into this with uh, our episode here about Olympus Ascending. So let's hit that. Well, Dan, we are going to do something that has been a long time coming now, as listeners know, and we are wrapping up the World of Deep Space Nine series here tonight with the Dominion book, Olympus Descending by David R. George III. And I got to say, I'm, I'm just really excited to be here. And, you know, as we're moving toward Ascendance and the end of the Ascendant storyline, it's so interesting to be here 
where we are now in the Deep Space Nine relaunch on the show, where that's really ramping up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it feels like we've been doing the worlds of Deep Space Nine for a while. Uh, I think, you know, most of the time that I've been on this show, we've been working this part of the Deep Space Nine relaunch. And yeah, it's very exciting to be coming towards the end of it. And uh, also, I have to say on a what I found to be a very strong part of it as well. I, I really enjoyed this story. It is a really strong part of the story, I think. Um, you know, David is uh, a very deep writer, and this book is full of some really just deep things. And you, I will admit that there are parts of me that get kind of lost in the points of view uh, <laughs> when they're talking about and, and trying to describe what the great link is right trying to describe what the great link is actually like mm -hmm. and that imagery and everything i i feel like you know odo is always trying to explain to people what it's like and failing with with human language and and any language it just it it's kind of unexplainable and i i don't envy david the problem that he probably had with trying to make that make sense to us mm -hmm. and at the same time i think you know, he does a great job that it feels alien and strange. And I don't even know if I totally get what he was trying to say. Mm -hmm, totally. And I think that's kind of the point, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, looking at this story, David had a lot of things to do in this book that were quite difficult. And yeah, this is certainly one of them is describing what existing within the great link is really like. Uh, I remember the, the female changeling in one of the Deep Space Nine episodes describing it as, you know, when a, when a changeling returns to the Great Link, the drop becomes the ocean. And when a single changeling leaves, the ocean becomes the drop. And uh, I felt like uh, David R. George was really able to communicate this and, again, keep it fairly mysterious because... Of course, we're just solids with our limited perceptions. So, <laughs> you know, we can't be accept expected to uh, grasp these huge ideas the way a changeling can, for sure. Well, and I, I think that, uh, you know, for the first time, too, I mean, I feel like this is the very first book where we're really diving into huh. changeling culture diving in, in general. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like that? Um, that was, I was trying to be subtle, but I guess, you know, uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, any book that we've had is always on the periphery. You know, we've never really understood, not the dominion, that's not necessarily that hard to understand, but the actual changeling culture, who they are, what kind of beings they are, where they come from, why they are, uh, you know, we we dive into the idea do they even have kids mm -hmm. uh, was Odo really an infant when he left all of those kind of questions David finally answers in this story and I think I think it's a really interesting answer because I don't necessarily think that anybody expected the story to go like this honestly mm -hmm. yeah no if, I feel like if I were naming this book I wouldn't have called it you know, if it's the worlds of Deep Space Nine, I wouldn't call it the Dominion. I would definitely call it the Changelings because, you know, we do see the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar a little bit, you know, outside of Tyranitar in this story. But it's really, like you say, the Changelings that finally get their day to be explored here. And 
it's a, it's a really fascinating exploration to be sure. So I, I think that's really, I really want to get into and, and ask you, Dan, just about, you know, the things that David does reveal here about the changeling culture and the fact of how they were created, which apparently, you know, there there's some sort of creation that happened for them and all of that. I mean, what did you think about that? Because again, this is, this is quintessential Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm that we're going to give you a much more mythic answer than normally you would get in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought that was very interesting. And a lot of times while reading this book, I thought to myself like, oh, I'd never thought of that. Or, you know, that totally wasn't, you know, it was one thing we never really got on the show was like an exploration of where the changelings came from and and how they came to be as they are. And the idea of... The changelings having a progenitor, a, a god that brought them into existence a uh, long time ago. And, you know, kind of mirroring the Bajorans, a, a god that has, you know, some physical form somewhere, uh, was a really interesting direction for this story to go and, and really unexpected. Uh, I do have to admit, I never ever thought of the changelings worshipping something. You know, every time we see them, we they think of themselves as the pinnacle and, and they create uh, thrall races that worship them. And, you know, to have an idea that there's something above them that they are now worshiping or that, that literally did create them is really fascinating. No, I, I mean, I'm with you. And I, I think what's so interesting too, is that, you know, there's no, there's no church of the changeling. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's no, religious dogma there's none of that in fact you know all the the times that we've been around the changelings odo is just now finding out about this and i mean he's the dominion war has been over for quite a while now and he's been back with his people for quite a while and they're just now revealing this to him which again like i don't understand how it all works and how information isn't just freely available in the great link but in it yeah that's that's a (laughs) That hurts my head to think about. Oh, we're just solids. We wouldn't understand. <laughs> yeah, e- exactly. Um, but yes, this driving force that there is something that these changelings do have their faith in, and it is this thing that created them, which is called the progenitor. Dan, one interesting thing here is I probably will get knocked by some serious fans of of the Star Trek books and uh, just fans that are just so much better at knowing these things than I do. But I was thinking back to this idea of the progenitor for the changelings here and wonder if they had any relation to the preservers in any way from the original Star Trek. And then, of course... That progenitor race in the chase, they're not given a name in that episode, but, you know, who went through and seeded the Alpha Quadrant with all these different races. And so we've seen this uh, kind of idea before that there's something that gave life to a certain race or races or, you know, this isn't totally alien mm-hmm. into Star Trek. <laughs> um And, of course, you know, with Deep Space Nine, we have the, the Prophets. So, and then, of course, uh, geez, we've got races like Q that could create whatever they wanted to create, you know, mm-hmm. if they wanted to. So, 
it just made me wonder, you know, if somehow, like, is there some kind of, like, overarching link between, you know, all of these things? Like, you know, Q and Trelane have been linked together, you know, mm. and his with his parents and all that, and all these advanced races. Like, I, I'm just wondering, because the, the way that they were describing the progenitor and how it gave birth to the changeling race, and, you know, it was kind of like them, and it's very biblical. It says it basically made the changelings in its image, mm. you know, like that the fact that it can metamorphosize and all that. And really, again, it's just really mythic and really strange. And again, very, this is totally deep space now. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, no, the, and I mean, you know, kind of complicating things is, and maybe I'm totally misremembering this, but I seem to remember the changelings in one episode or at least maybe the female changeling saying that they you know the the changelings millions of years ago were solid like like the other you know species they encounter but that they're more evolved and you know that they've changed into this form now so you know that could almost be evidence that it's linked together with this ancient progenitor race and that kind of thing too. And of course, I mean, the main link between them being that the uh, actress who played the progenitor, uh, member of the progenitor race, so-called in that episode was Salome Jens. So, you know, I, I, I've always kind of thought of that as maybe that maybe they evolved into the changelings at some point or something like that. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it's a really it's a fascinating thought, kind of linking all of these things together, and uh, uh, it it's definitely possible. I mean, we've seen stranger things in Star Trek. Well, and and then the really interesting thing too was that you know the changelings have been created so that you know you can. I'm gonna put in quotes here, like "ding ding," you can birth a changeling, but it's only. What that means for a changeling is different than what we think it means. It's not a whole new being. It is a part of the whole being separated and becoming aware Mm -hmm. of everything that's around them. And it's just a strange thing. And this is where the understanding of how changelings work, especially in the Great Link, how like you could take part of the whole and pull it apart, but it doesn't know everything else that all the other changes. I don't know. it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, <laughs> But I, I guess in the same sense, it, maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it should just feel completely and utterly alien to us mm. so that there is that mystery. We don't need it all explained because how could you explain that existence when there's no way we could understand that kind of existence. Mm-hmm. So wait, does that mean that if Odo was a little slow going through a door and left his foot behind, like, you know, give that a little while and keep it separate from Odo and it would become another changeling? Like, could he have not necessarily gone and found his people, but just made more of his own people <laughs> to be friends with before uh, they discovered the changelings? This is Odo, and this is my other brother, Odo. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Um, I mean, I that's what I... I don't understand, too, how, you know, a changeling 
can be like Odo Mm -hmm. and be very much an individual, but at the same time then become part of the whole, but then when he comes back, he's him. But also, even when he's in the Great Link, he doesn't lose himself. Mm -hmm. So So where does Odo end and the Great Link begin when he's in there? I have no clue. (laughs) I mean, that's one of the things I think David does such a great job of writing this poetic language of what it's kind of like to be in the Great Link, but it doesn't leave me with understanding any better. And mm-hmm. again, I think that's not a knock against this book. No, not I at think all. it's actually something that helps you feel the uncomfortableness of not being able to understand. And it also, I mean, it makes sense too, because even Odo still has a very tough time understanding since he was part of the hundred that they sent out. Mm -hmm. And that hundred was meant to, we now find out, it wasn't really to go find out about the galaxy. They were trying to draw the progenitor back to the hundred and then bring the progenitor back to the entire changeling race so that they could all merge together and go, you know, to changeling heaven <laughs> question mark <laughs> yeah no yeah, I, does that exist i mean is that a thing like i don't know yeah exactly i mean they don't seem to be like the prophets where they exist in a you know another dimension or something so i who knows mm-hmm. yeah no it was a really fascinating idea and I, and I love that kind of taking an element that's really part of the deep space nine mythos and and the origin story for one of the major characters and really turning it around and making it mean something completely different, which, uh, you know, is, is something that's very brave for an author to do when you take one of the fundamental elements of a television show and, and really change it and give it a whole different meaning. It reminds me of the Monty Python skit. And now for something completely different. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, and now for something completely different. <laughs> A changeling in the Great Link. And then it's like, and now for something completely different. A changeling in the Great Link. <laughs> like, it's always the same thing. Like, because it, it doesn't, uh, yeah, that's, oh, goodness. Well, I mean, we could go around in circles talking about this point of view thing, but mm-hmm. I, I think we would get lost in the Link and never come back. So <laughs> the uh, the uh, ocean would never <laughs> again become the drop. We would just be no, exactly. ocean forever. <laughs> oh man! And I don't surf well. Um, <laughs> so you, you we there's the long-awaited resolution to something that we saw in season six, mm. and you know after the epic failure of Odo to help the resistance sail because he's canoodling with the female changeling. Can I just insert a shudder here? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then of course, you know, he comes back and he helps them. And then they have the great scene where Odo and Kira spend, you know, 12 hours in a closet talking about what happened. And we don't know what happens in the closet because we don't see that. Mm -hmm. But David finally opened the door of the closet and allowed us to peek in and get a look at this conversation. And were you satisfied with the resolution that they came to for those two characters so that it made sense? I mean, it always made sense to me. I, mm-hmm. 
but did did do you feel satisfied with the actual answers that David came up with and how Odo tried to explain things to Kira and how she responded? Mm-hmm. Well, this is another thing, you know, we talked in the previous question there about difficult things that David R. George had to do with this novel. And I think this was another one that was just really difficult. Um, I remember reading the Deep Space Nine Companion and the writers basically said, you know, mea culpa, we couldn't come up with anything that was good enough to show these two characters coming back together. So we had it happen off screen and, you know, we're sorry. But, uh, you know, so this was a very difficult thing, I think, for them to write, for David to write here. And uh, I think he pulls it off quite well. I really enjoyed those flashback scenes to the two of them. Uh, really kind of hashing it out and Odo trying really hard to help Kira to understand uh, kind of almost what we've been trying to understand in the previous little bit there, like what it's like to be a changeling, how his mindset, where his mind was during this whole ordeal. And uh, yeah, I, I was very satisfied. I thought that was some of the best character work. I really love Odo and Kira together to begin with. So getting this kind of you know, never seen resolution was, was really nice to see here. Uh, what did you think of that? Well, I, I'm, I'm really with you because, you know, I, I liked that on screen, they didn't spend, obviously really, you would need an entire episode for this exactly, to happen. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it would be kind of a boring episode because it's just two people talking in a closet. Mm. And, but here in the literary world, it works because this is what books are made of is great character moments like this, you know, where you can have it be kind of a more silent thing. Um, and I don't mean silent that they're not talking, but it, it's it's just a quiet place where they're talking and they're conversing and nothing else is going on. There's, you know, no party. There's no explosions. It's happening outside. You know, the big party at Gen Z is there. And having what Odo was talking about, you know, I, I think what David did is he really made sense of the characterization of who Odo actually is that maybe they never completely even drilled down in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, that his goal was to try and help his people see that solids are not the enemy. Right. And his goal was to share that with the female changeling and try and help her understand humanity and give her a respect for them that she didn't have before. And then, of course, where we end up is that all she does is pity them. Mm-hmm. And Odo fails in that mission, um, but he he sees the opportunity there. And I, I think it's a really... You know, it doesn't completely absolve Odo of what happened... But it's so much easier to understand why he's doing it because he is thinking not just of the small picture with the resistance cell, but his goal really was to try, if he could, to get through, to break through and maybe have the possibility of planting the seed to stopping this this whole war. Mm. So um, it really was a fascinating thing as he tries to unpack that for her. And also unpack, as he does, look, I I quote-unquote slept with the female changeling, but it wasn't about that act as, as I would with, you know, 
it, he never says it, but I mean, right. he's, he's implying, look, it's not like it would be with you. It was meant to be kind of an educational thing. Um, it, it was meant to try and show her how humans relate. It, it, it had nothing to do with emotion or feeling other than the, the try and nurturing understanding for another changeling how solids can interact mm-hmm. and that yes it's not the great link but that doesn't mean it's inferior right yeah and that we're superior yeah no i really appreciated that because that was kind of something that i always wondered if kira knew that you know and i mean you know linking i guess could be seen as more intimate than what odo did with the female changeling there but you know, did Kira know that that had happened and how did that conversation come about? So when I was reading this, I was really, you know, pleasantly surprised that that was in there and that Odo really laid bare everything. And, you know, it wasn't just empty placating kind of thing. It was, it was a true, you know, laying your soul bare and, and not leaving anything out and really, being completely open and honest with someone that he truly, truly cares about. And it was really touching to be able to read that. No, I completely agree. And I just, I loved the conversation. You know, I love the honesty of, of Kira saying too, it, it it's going to take a little bit, but we'll, we'll be back to where we were. You know, we're, we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just loved the, the brutal honesty for both sides and, and, what was great about it is it was a good picture of how two people who do really care about you, whether it's friends or lovers or whatever, that they listen, mm-hmm. you know, and that, you know, Kira was such a good listener. Yeah. I was really surprised at how well she listens to what Odo is telling her. It would be so easy to just completely dismiss everything and, you know, I don't want to hear it and just be angry. But the fact that she was, yeah, like you said, willing to sit there and listen and really hear him out uh, was really touching and speaks very well of, of both of their characters, I think. Well, you know, a character who's having a really hard time <laughs> is uh, Tyranitar. Yeah, he's not having a good day. No, Tyranitar is not so good, very bad, rotten, terrible, no good day. Absolutely, Uh, And if that could be the show title, it would be, but it's too long. Um, But yeah, it's it's a strange storyline, and I will say that this does get a little bit confusing sometimes because David gives him some dreams. Mm Mm-hmm that seem like reality and then they go back and it's oh it was just a dream and sometimes it's hard to know what the dream and the reality was for him and so but he is um you know he's not having a good day at all (laughs) not at all no um yeah one thing about that that kind of dream sequence i feel like it would be very easy to get annoyed with that like oh this whole bunch that i've this whole section of the book that I've just read didn't actually happen. It, it was just a dream, but you know, it really goes deeper than that because if you think about who's having that dream and it's Tyranitar who doesn't have, you know, an imagination the way we would think about it. So the fact that, you know, this stuff is going on in his head and this stuff is playing out in the mind of someone so 
physically dangerous and scary as Tyranitar is really terrifying. I remember reading this section and just feeling absolutely, you know, if if I had a co-worker, say, who had been genetically engineered to be a killing machine and we were, you know, trying to acclimate him to the business culture or whatever, and I knew he was imagining all of this happening, I, I'd be really, really scared. And, you know, we learn throughout the course of this uh, novel that the people around Tyranitar, it turns out, have very good reason to be very scared of him at this point. Yeah, this this thing is, you know, he's a one-man killing machine. Uh, it's like a Terminator on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Terminator Genesis may have turned the Terminator into Pops, into the lovable Terminator, <laughs> but this one's about to go as bad as it gets. And um, what's really interesting here, too, is that we don't know why this is happening. I mean... There is one issue that we'll talk about in the next segment, but there's a, also a part of where all these dreams are coming from and why all this is happening to him that we're going to find out later. Mm. But right now, it almost just seems like, you know, there's there's a couple things that happen to Tyranitar that lead him here, but on the other side, it almost is like he's having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, almost as though a switch has just been flipped in his head kind of thing. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty scary. I mean, uh, you know, you think about the previous novels where Nog has been <laughs> really scared of Tyranitar and really wary of him. And uh, I feel like it's going to be pretty hard for him not to be going around saying, I told you so after this one. You know, keeping a Jem'Hadar on the station as civilized, quote unquote, as he seems to be, uh, they've learned... Uh, quite a bit at the end of this book that uh, that that might not have been the best idea yeah um shocker <laughs> um you know what's interesting about tyranitar is that his story mirrors what's happening with the the founders and with odo mm. and what they have their faith in and um you know this whole book is revolving around the idea of faith and what we place our faith in, why people believe certain things, why certain cultures believe certain things. Um, and Tyranitar here really finds out something interesting is that, you know, his faith is completely taken away because, okay, so if the progenitors created the founders that means they're not really the gods and so he loses all of his belief system it's just pulled right out i mean the rug is literally well it's figuratively pulled out from under him <laughs> yeah and he it does feel like he hits his head you know and has this nervous breakdown because he finds out that everything he's been told is completely and utterly wrong mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's when someone or when Tyranitar in particular, you know, has all of his faith kind of in one thing, in the divinity of the founders and that the founders are all, the only thing keeping him uh, from doing what he does at the end of the book is the belief that Odo is a god and Odo has told him to do this thing, so he must do it. And yeah, when as soon as that's taken away... 
he has seemingly anyway at this point in the story we we think he has no reason to believe what he has to say anymore and reverts back to being what he was engineered to be a killing machine and he sees his enemies and kills them or seems to kill them um you know and and it's like i said at this point that's all we know and we'll learn more about what's going on with tyranitar in you know the next couple stories but at this point yeah it really looks like that was what happened was his faith got taken away and then he just snapped which kind of reminds me of something that's happened in in deep space nine a little bit now and i say now but you know uh when we're we're thinking about um the later books with senduska and his faith issues mm, right, yeah. being challenged so in the bajoran faith issues being challenged so david or george loves to to knock around people of faith and pull the the rug out from under them for sure mm. Um, but you know, another interesting thing when talking about what we put their faith in the, especially loss and Oda are really having a hard time understanding how the founders have, or how the changelings have this faith in this progenitor. And they both kind of are the thinking, well, you know, having faith, you know, in something with some kind of wishful thinking or longing or you know, because you're afraid of death or whatever, that that's not really a good reason to have faith in something. And what I love is that they're proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, again, in <laughs> Deep Space Nine, somebody's proven wrong when they're like, poo-poo, faith. The progenitor was real. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not alive anymore. Spoiler alert at the end of the book. It's <laughs> dead because of a supernova because the ascendants killed it. But it is something that created them, and it did exist, so their faith was not really misplaced. I just think that's so interesting. Yeah, it was a really fascinating uh, turnaround, again, at the end of this book, that, you know, Odo and Loss kind of get that splash of cold water in their face. And then, though, like you said, they discover that the progenitor has been killed. It's been completely destroyed, which, you know marks a very fundamental shift in the dominion going forward i mean you know everything changes here for the dominion and uh the changelings are kind of gone awol uh except for loss and odo which is a uh, kind of an interesting turn of events here uh the dominion without their leaders is a kind of scary idea <laughs> Well, the Dominion with the leaders of Odo and Loss, I mean, Odo leading the Dominion, not so bad. Not so bad, but... You know, uh, much better than who it used to be yeah, uh, leading them. So, but the idea, you know, that the, the logic of, and, and it really reminds me uh, of C.S. Lewis, you know, he talked about, look, you have the desire for food. Food exists. You know, our bodies have desires for things that exist. Uh, We have a desire for food. We have a desire for sex and love and all of these things. They're all things that exist, and our desires tell us that we need them, and we go out and find them. And so he really, I mean, he applies that logic to the idea of a faith in, in a heaven and He says, you know, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, 
then the most probable explanation is that we're made for another world. And, you know, it's it's not illogical um, and, and rational to say that because one has the desire for a, a higher being, that that doesn't that's an irrational thing and what i thought was really interesting it just reminded me here of you know odo and lost they're not understanding this because they do just think it's just kind of this irrational thing oh the founders are afraid of dying they're afraid we'll stop to exist all of that but then they find out they were wrong Mm -hmm. and it's such an interesting thing because again you're with that who's right who's wrong kind of thing and it's not completely like every you know like odo it, it just it's so well done and i just i really like it because again you know yes the progenitor turns out to have been real uh the prophets are somebody that people have talked to um you know but um you're getting a little bit less of those just easy to push over straw men that Star Trek had created so many times for faith and getting something a lot more substantial in that discussion. And I just appreciate that mm. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to kind of uh, shake it up a little bit and have kind of a deeper exploration of these things rather than just the surface exploration. So yeah, it's it's really... Um, really compelling storyline, especially when you're thinking of an entire civilization of changelings uh, going through this, which is really interesting. Um, it's also really interesting kind of coming to the uh, the next point here um, that without the progenitor, so now that the progenitor has been killed or seems to be gone, uh, the changelings, they're unable to see any hope for the future anymore. Um, and it, just as kind of something interesting about how we deal with massive disappointments in our lives. Um, what did you think about kind of that idea that the the progenitor is now dead and the ascendants, I guess, seem to have killed it and how the changelings deal with that loss? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the dream is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, the dream is no longer any kind of reality for them and... Uh, their dream was based in reality. Yeah, this this thing existed, and now that it is gone, they don't see how they can go on. And you know, I was just thinking, uh, you know, very personally, uh, when my dad left our family years ago. Now, uh, my world shifted. You know, mm-hmm. a, a a foundational stone of my life was pulled out, and everything kind of crumbled because that that one of the foundational stones was gone and you have to learn how to rebuild that and everybody in life you know the longer you live the more things get pulled away in a lot of ways and how you deal with that massive disappointment means something Mm -hmm. and it can lead to utter despair and um hopelessness and the the idea of you know uh changelings here you know they're not going to commit suicide but they're they're they there's nothing for them to hold on to anymore there's nothing for them to grasp at they they can't see any other way and you know odo says to them well but 
we could we could make our own destiny you know um and what's so interesting about the whole thing is that you know again there's no theology around the progenitor there's nothing like that you know it was just their desire and they they wanted to to be with it but it wasn't like it wasn't even like the Bajorans, you know, where they're being told by the prophets certain ways to live and certain things to do and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, you know, it 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 really, it almost got down to this point where like they're just holding on to this was their only destiny, as if there isn't another destiny they can choose, as if they don't have any free will anymore and they can't choose to do something else, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's it's it was really it was really interesting to see that that whole response that they had that they can't deal with this this massive loss and and move on and um I don't really want to equate it to necessarily the loss of a god but you know people do lose faith in all sorts of things and and people even lose their faith in their god too in our world and they have to find a way to pick themselves and move forward or, you know, <laughs> something else happens. Mm. Um, and so it really is an interesting question because it it leads to a lot of either really good places for people overcoming or it leads to very dark and deep places. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I found the ending of this really surprised me. I, I didn't see it coming like when they're when they're all leaving the planet just the the sheer monumental sense of despair that uh david was able to convey over those pages was really really touching and really moving um and you're you're standing there looking through the eyes of odo and seeing you know all of these changelings leaving on mass and you just get this really deep sense of loss. And I thought that was communicated very, very well. And, you know, like I said earlier, it really represents a huge fundamental shift for that civilization. And I'm really curious to see, you know, what becomes of the changelings uh, after this point, you know, will they choose to overcome this loss and, you know, make a better destiny or will they be lost to despair? And, uh, it's, it's a really interesting, you know, to see the paths that, that are, that are laid before them and, you know, which one will they choose? This book is, is a a really dense book with a lot of, of things to think about. And, and so kind of closing out with our ratings, where would you put this one, Dan? Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I felt this was a very strong, finish to the worlds of deep space nine i thought it was a very moving story um david r george was really able to craft kind of a you know in a lot of ways a dark story and a bit of a brooding story but also very contemplative and you know as i read it i found myself in the place of a lot of the characters uh especially kira trying to understand what Odo is talking about and and how his people live and what he was trying to do. And then I was, you know, in the place of Odo trying to understand his people and their beliefs and their motivations. Uh, 
so in that way, and if you'll excuse the term, he was really able to humanize these characters for me and really make me understand where they're coming from. So this was one that I read very quickly from start to finish. I was just pulled right into the story from the beginning. Uh, so I, I really have to say, I think I have to give it five out of five deep closet conversations uh, because I really enjoyed this one. Wow. That's pretty awesome. I think so. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> Where would you put this story? Uh, maybe kind of in relation to the other worlds of Deep Space Nine novels and just on its own. Well, on its own, you know, I, I'm going to go with a great uh, four out of five stars. I think this is a really solid book. Um, I, I think that what it does for this volume of The Worlds of Deep Space Nine, it would make this volume probably a 3.5 for me because of where I fell with the Ferengi story. Right. Um, but it, it's a solid... It, this one is so good, you know? I mean, I feel like if you took this one and the Trill book and the Bajor book and had put them all together, like, so strong. Like, this is this is really, really good. And, and what it does for our understanding of the Changeling is huge. So... Forget that. 4.5 for me. Uh, not 4. 4.5. This is a great story. I'm really pleased with it. And I'm very excited that it wrapped up the world of Deep Space Nine because it does it in such a fantastic way that, um, you know, I, I just can't imagine not having uh, this, this story. Um, and so really, really well done. Well, Matthew, I think we were both fairly uh, satisfied with dominion olympus descending this week this was a really great discussion uh I, re I really have to say i enjoy how deep these discussions go i think when we first sit down i never quite expect to be touching on as as many deep ideas as we end up doing no i you know i'm with you um but you know i we work on the outlines uh, together, and and um, you know when I came on and I saw the the outline that it, you had created there, you know, and, and what you had already put on there, and then when I added to it, I was like, okay, this is going to be a great conversation because there's there's really so much to to talk about, mm -hmm. and, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna dive into the deep end, you know, <laughs> like. Just going to jump right in and, and, and go for it and, because there's so many great issues to talk about. And I think, again, that's one of the things that makes a good Star Trek book and a really just a good any book. It doesn't do Star Trek. something that can really make you think and I uh, really appreciate it about these books. And so I'm so glad that we've gotten through them and we have three more books in the Deep Space Nine relaunch. There's already planning on when we'll talk about those and we'll be ready for when David R. George's Ascendance comes out. So I can't wait to get to that. Uh, don't forget that we're on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. You can find all of our shows there. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Give us a star rating and review. really helps us out. Uh, you have no idea how much that really does help out the show and grow the audience. If you're not an Apple user, don't worry. You can find the shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can go to the website at Trek.FM. You can get the MP3 file or the RSS link there as well. Really like to thank all of our associate producers through Patreon. Will Wren, Ken Tripp, and Brandon Shea, Matula. Those guys help keep this show coming to you each week. And it's through Patreon. Now, we're a listener-supported network. And without the support of the listeners, we're not able to bring this content to you. 
every week we bring you such amazing content from around the entire Star Trek galaxy and beyond that with the 602 Club. And we hope that you will want to join the team. The, the costs involved are quite extensive with the bandwidth costs for producing the shows getting the shows out there to you each week, all the personal time that's involved for everyone here. It's all volunteer. We don't see any of that money. It gets poured right back into uh, the network to make sure it keeps running. So go to patreon.com slash We have some great gifts for you. Exclusive content, producer credits, seats on the content development team. You can also be on the Patreon roundtables with Will Win Each month, listeners get to do their own podcast together, talking about Star Trek with people from around the network. It's a, just a blast. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm so you can see how you can help bring all this content to you and every other listener each and every week. Now, Dan, when you're not mired in the depths of the Great Link trying to figure out the meaning of life, where can we find you? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great place to just kind of sit and uh, contemplate that. And have you seen my arm? I don't know. Oh, where did I leave that? Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find me online, uh, the website where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. That's at www.treklit.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekletreviews, on Twitter at trekletreviews, and on my personal Twitter account at kertrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram, uh, kertrats47 is my username there. And of course, you can find me on the Babel Conference talking all things Star Trek. And Matthew, when you're not running around the station telling everybody that I told you so about that Jem'Hadar. I knew he would snap one day. Where can we find you? Just really wish they had believed me. Would have turned out a lot different. <sighs> well, when I'm not screaming about that on Twitter at MattRushing02, you can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I'm on The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk a lot about Deep Space Nine because that is the exclusive Deep Space Nine podcast for the network. Um, we love talking about the show. Hope you'll join us there. I do the 602 Club. We talk about all things geeky, new and old. We've had some amazing conversations recently. In fact, I uh, had a great time just talking about The Martian, and that was so much fun. And uh, we've got some great topics coming up uh, in the future with um, Hunger Games and Bond and more Star Wars. It's just it's just endless what we talk about there. So check that out. And, of course, you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.